The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, the importance of influencing. This person is doing exactly what everyone else is doing. They just happen to get words cut in their hand in the cookie jar. Um, so if, if this person is doing simply what everyone else is doing in the organization, irrespective of whether it's right or wrong, how can you hold this person up as the uh, single failure? How can you hold this person up as a bad example to work from? That ain't fair. As you refer to it as the whack-a-mole approach, yeah, it doesn't solve it doesn't solve the long-term systemic problem that's happening there. All you're doing is waiting for the next individual to follow the same uh, bad path. Welcome to the Healthier Workplaces Show. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and your host for this show from AIHA. In 2008, three people were injured in an industrial accident at Sandia National Laboratories. This incident galvanized Sandia to reevaluate its approach to investigating and preventing accidents. On this episode, we are joined by Brian Thompson and CJ Backlund, the individuals at Sandia that are heading up this influencer training initiative. Stay with us. The importance of industrial hygienists and OEHS professionals has never been better recognized. Safety science experts keeping workers and communities safe. A mixture of science and application. AIHA is the association that represents these professionals and what they do. Teamwork, thinking outside the box and solving unique challenges. A winning combination for healthier workplaces and a healthier world. Welcome, CJ and Brian. Thanks so very much for joining us uh, this week on the uh, Healthier Workplaces show. Um, very interested in the topics that we're going to be speaking about. The topic of the day is the importance of influencing and how that can actually uh, positively affect uh, environmental health and safety at, a, at a, an organization. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the, you know, uh, I guess the importance of influencing. That Your blog that was uh, on the AIHA site um, in the Synergy site, uh, spoke about um how you both uh came together to create a uh, create a class uh and this was in the aftermath of uh, an incident at at your facility is that, that really what drove it so it was, a, it was an accident a serious industrial accident here at sandia and it happened in 2008 and a few years later we uh came across some across this book so we didn't create this course the course that we teach is based upon this book influencer and what it is, it's a, it's a group of uh, social scientists, PhD social scientists have uh, done just a ton of research into why people do what they do. And so they created this book, um, help you understand why people do what they do and how you can drive uh, long-term behavioral change. And so we were really uh, tantalized by the concept of that thing because it really got to the to the under the belly as far as why people do what they do. We were looking at human fallibility, human error, uh, why did people not follow the procedures or why they do this instead of that? And so 
oftentimes, you know, we just had our biases as far as why we think people do certain things in certain ways. This book just kind of opened our eyes to, oh my gosh, there's just a ton of other things that we need to consider. So it helps us look broader and deeper into the myriad uh, influences that are in play behind when people do what they do. So that's what really um, got, got us excited to start teaching this class as a result of that. Um, the excitement, as it were, we've been doing it for 12 years now. So CJ, um, again, how, how did how did the two of you end up together? Uh, you know, putting you know putting this class together at Sandia. Do you want me to take that one, or, or is that still um, a Brian, Brian one? Is know, that still think, a Brian one? This is fine. You know, Brian was saying that he's been teaching this class for 12 years, so he really set the um, you know set the stage for bringing this to. Sandia and I became a certified trainer for the course um, around four or five years ago um, and, and started teaching. We co-teach it now. And prior to that, I don't know, Brian, if he was teaching it alone or maybe he had somebody else that was teaching it. But um, it just it's interesting that we're both ESNH folks and we uh, we found it to be very important um, from and I'm sorry, I got something screwed up here. You're, you're gonna have to tone that one out. Sorry, that's Paul. okay. That's okay. We got that. Uh, yeah, and I think the the co-teaching. You know, I I have the industrial hygiene background, and and Brian has the health physics background. And so, what's really valuable about that, I think, um, to bring it to the industrial hygiene community, is um, the class uh, is is the class content comes from a, a vendor called Crucial Learning. And and they, and and there are you know uh, companies all over the world actually that teach this content. But what's valuable about Brian and I teaching it, having a coming from a one of the national laboratories, um, is and with our environmental health and safety background, is that we put kind of that tone into the class. We have the experience. We use examples that have to do with health and safety that I think the industrial hygienist can relate to. I guess you know. I guess one of the things that I took away from the article uh, from the blog that that you, you both authored was that um, it, you know, often when when a when a bad situation happens, uh, the the higher ups tend to want to point fingers and, and blame the individuals involved close to the incident as as opposed to uh, you know looking at it in more of a like I guess a holistic view. Is, is am I correct with that? Yeah, the, it, it, the pendulum has swung both to both extremes over the years. Um, used to be that you blame the individual and you don't look any further. And then, no, 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 you blame the, the system. The, the individual is blameless. And then it's kind of gone back and forth. I think the, the swings uh, have lessened in the, in the magnitude. And truly, this course and this model that is proposed by the book lets you look, things, look at things holistically, look at all things included. So we look at the individual, the person closest to the pointy end of the stick, the person who's been implicated in this event that had a bad outcome. We also have to take a look at um, the, the uh, social influence. So the peer pressure, understanding full well that peer pressure did not go away when we graduated from high school. Peer pressure is alive and well in our in our different workplace settings. And, and so sometimes people just kind of lose their way. Well, if they're by themselves, they might do X, Y, Z. But dang, if I'm with somebody else's other groups, I don't want to look bad or look foolish or want to maybe be a poser so I can fit in, not get voted off the island. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z instead of ABC. And so we have to look at those uh, social forces, whether it's 
peers or maybe direct reports, um, as well as uh, from above. And so we look at from all different angles. And then we start looking at the non-human um, influences. You look at um, carrots and sticks. We look at performance reviews. You look at uh, uh, bonuses, things like that, or getting called on the red carpet and be given a, your pink slip, whatever. So, you know, you screwed up way too many times, go away. So we look at carrot sticks and that might be some sort of an incentive or disincentive. Like I'm just afraid of getting smacked in the rear end by the switch again. Well, so I'm just, I'm trying to grab that brass ring. I'm almost done. I'm almost there, just one more breath. And so we have to look at those things as well as the uh, things within the environment, procedures, policies, tools, workplace. Um, do they make sense? Do they actually help get us to the, you know, to the end point, the desired end point, or do they get in way? Do they, are they out of date? Do they, are they rot with mistakes? And so we have to look at all those types of things that, that feed into why people do what they do. So that's where this really comes in handy because it helps us look broader. So it's not just the one individual or the other pendulum swing over here. It's a system set that, that we call a combo platter uh, across the board. Hope that helps. Is this this approach that, that that you're you know you're both proposing? Um, is this approach something that's becoming commonplace in, in the workplace, or is this still is this still like you know uh, a concept that maybe a lot of employers haven't embraced as of yet? Uh, I'll pitch that out to either of you. I'm, I'll try to take that one. Um, I'm in afterwards. Okay, and and I guess what I would say is that I I like to look at this as when health and safety professionals show up, even if they're not in a management situation, but they're showing up as leaders because we are. Um, and uh, you might be thinking about it along the lines of, are you a change agent? What are you trying to change? And if you want to be a change agent and move the needle towards um, uh, a, a, you know, a workplace where the probability of something occurring is lowered. You've got to get management to uh, to buy into it, and in, in an efficient way. And and what I think is really great about a class like influencing is that you get these tools. We talk about six sources of influence, and if you can use all six of them, and Brian was talking about them a little bit, your chances of getting traction are going to be better. And if you think about in the industrial hygiene world or anything safety for that matter that you're trying to control and you look at the hierarchy of controls with say elimination being at the top, but you're moving down into engineering controls and trying to steer your customer. I'm going to call it a customer away from the kind of knee jerk. We're going to do PPE personal protective equipment. Then it helps you to make that case. Um, when you bring these six sources of influence and, uh, and we give the students an opportunity to really diagnose Maybe it's a really deep-seated issue, like Brian was talking about. Maybe it came out of an event, and you're trying to get some corrective actions in place. Um, if you diagnose it and look for certain vital behaviors that are going to, you know, move the needle. I used that term before, and use those six sources of influence. The probability of you getting the result that you want just it just shoots up. It's I think it's more than linear. And a follow up to that. So, you know, having this ability to influence and being a good influencer, is this something that some people just have an innate ability to do that? Uh, and it, or is it really more of a developed skill? 
Do, do you mind if I take that one too? Brian, I know probably wants to. Go for it. Um, you know, I think that people think it's an innate ability. My From teaching this class for the number of years that I have, I believe that it's not. I think, in, and that's what we make the point of in the class, is that this is, this is learned. And you, what you'll do in the class is go through something that we call deliberate practice. And so that you can build some muscle memory around influencing and getting some successes in influencing. In fact, we encourage students, if this feels new to them, hey, try some, uh, you know, maybe try some smaller goals that you want to reach that are a little bit more achievable and use these sources of influence and see if you can get the result and then build on that. But they do have an opportunity to do what we call deliberate practice, build the muscle memory. And I firmly believe that it is not innate, that you can learn it. I want to say one other thing, can I, about that? Um, and it's the reason why I wanted to bring influencer to the industrial hygiene conference as a PDC. I have been um, on the board of several local sections. And when I, a few years ago, I think it was in 2018, um, pre-pandemic, went to the leadership conference um, with, with, uh, with AIHA, we did the strengths finder. That's what the, the conference was about. And what it identified was uh, when we looked at it, um, looked at the data as a large group of like 250 industrial hygienists, what we found out and really caught my attention is that we were not, we were low on influencing as a strength. And, uh, and knowing that we were teaching this class and that it truly is not an innate ability, I thought it would be great to bring it to uh, AIH, AIHA conference as a PDC. I mean, that, that, that's super interesting. Brian, you know, you had mentioned, you know, in the article that, um, you know, a, a lot of times environmental health and safety professionals are viewed as the safety cop. So, right. And that's, and that term that actually, that's, that's been my experience too, in my career too. It's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, Madam X or, you know, Mr. X is here, you know, we all got to start doing things right. So it's not, how do you, like, how do you combat that or, you know, counteract that, that type of, uh, uh, feeling, you know, maybe that uh, the the workforce has when when they see the EHS people there. Yeah, Sid, you want to weigh in on that? I just have a few things. I'll tie uh, connect the dots on a few things after you know discuss this issue. Oh, sure. On the safety cop, I, I probably find myself in that role a little bit more than Brian as a as an ESNH coordinator, and uh, you know, I think. It's just really, really important that you become this trusted agent for uh, for management, and uh, that doesn't come overnight. It takes um, it takes some real work to do that. And and so something I want to say about it is that we te- we do teach the influencer class here, but it's an overlay to a number of classes that we teach. We also uh, Brian and I teach um, a class that is called um, the Speed of Trust class. It's how to build trust within your team. Um, and so, it, and, and we also teach a crucial conversations class. So these kind of all tie in together. And, you know, we try to make that point that, no, you don't want to be the safety cop. You want to be in partnership with your, um, with your customer, with management. We'll be back after this. Meet Alice Hamilton. 
She was an early pioneer in what we know today as industrial hygiene. Her work had a profound impact on AIHA's earliest members. AIHA's Hamilton Club recognizes organizations that continue her work. These corporate partners use innovation and expertise to shape the future of worker health and safety. Partners receive tiered benefits of access, recognition, contribution, and brand exposure. The Hamilton Club is the center of support and investment between club partners, AIHA, and its members. This is where the future of the profession shines the brightest. For more information, visit AIHA.info slash Hamilton Club. What do you think, Brian? Absolutely. It's all about relationships. So then let me go back to something that might sound and look like we're coming at this and we have two different things, you know, where's a bifurcation, what, what we're talking about between what I presented earlier as far as the person closer to the plinky and the stick and what CJ was presenting. Let me, let me try to tie those together. Uh, when you have a bad outcome, bad event, you know, we typically try to find out what happened. And so this helps us to diagnose the conspiracy of causes or the complex web of causes that it kind of drove to this, this outcome here. Uh, specifically looking at behaviors related to uh, the person's conduct uh, when the when the bad thing happened. And then what it allows us to do is to identify with much more surgical precision what we need to change, what we need to modify, what needs to be added or whatever the case may be, whether it's related to motivation or, or knowledge, skills, and abilities, or something that's a social issue or revising procedures or policies. So it allows us to be much more precise in our corrective actions. And then this follows on. So then how do I roll these out? How do I make it more readily adopted, um, accepted, uh, received by, by the, the people working with? So we have to influence their, their receptivity to the stuff to see that there's gonna be a positive impact uh, for them. Um, typically what, I, what I've experienced in my 40 years doing rad protection is that beyond just whack, playing whack-a-mole with a person that uh, is closest to the point in the stick, Oftentimes what happens is that the manager doesn't want to hold that one person responsible because it's kind of awkward, you get that, that, that interpersonal awkwardness. And so instead of just holding a person and you know, trying to address their behavioral choices, this applies corrective action across the board. So one person sneezes and everyone gets a chemo or one person uh, makes a mistake and everybody goes to retraining. And so there's this massive, it just it kills the effectiveness of those corrective actions just breeds more and more cynicism and skepticism and, and just demolishes trust that the rest of the workforce has towards their management. So that helps us identify what needs to be done specifically for this individual and maybe look at the bigger picture, what else can be done so that's not a recurring issue. And also this model also helps us if we're going to work on a new program, or we're going to launch a new initiative, or we have this new, uh, if we're going to roll out and how do we get people on board with us from the get go. And this model helps us to kind of foresee what might be some of the barriers that might prevent um, quick adoption, what might make it more difficult for people, what make, might make it feel kind of creepy for them and helps you identify those things up front and then work on some proven strategies to make it more readily adopted and, and, and accepted by, by everybody. Cause you're focusing on what's in it for them, you know, with my approach, you're making sure that they have the requisite knowledge, skills, and abilities to do those certain things, to behave in a certain ways, certain times, 
You've addressed the societal issues that might come into play that might you know, run counter to what we want people to do, as well as to look at those non-human type stuff. So it's that kind of an effort that makes us useful for rolling out a brand new program. And then time connect finally with, with CJ, we apply both those aspects, whether it's fixing a problem, addressing an issue that had went wrong or um, rolling out something new, bringing this other aspect when we, we as ESNH professionals, as safe professionals, we're trying to understand why people aren't wearing the required PPE. Why do they keep on taking the respirator off? You know, with you know, find out they got a wad of chew in their mouth with after they pull off a full face respirator and they spit it on the floor and slap it back on. These these you know these unhelpful behaviors and choices. It helps us understand why they're doing that and helps us drive what can we do to make this much more common. So I don't have to be the safety cop. People know what to do. They understand why it adds value. It's the, the established cultural norm and it's fast, simple, and easy. It's convenient. And so all these different things roll together to make it much more readily and easily adopted and, and for long-term uh, behavioral change. So well, as you mentioned, you know, I, I mean, as, as you were mentioning earlier, the, uh, you know, that, tendency for a knee-jerk reaction, you know, for management to, you know, to like just come in and swoop in really heavy and hard and make everybody get retrained rather than single out. Maybe if there's an individual or a few individuals that really are the cause of it, but how, is it, is it difficult uh, to get, to get management to buy into this, this more nuanced approach? Go ahead, CJ. You go first and I'll weigh in. Well, I guess what I was going to say is that, you know, this is a journey, isn't it? And, uh, and, and as I was saying, this is kind of an overlay to other things that we're doing here at, at Sandia Laboratories, um, revolving around management, learning how to have those kinds of conversations with, uh, with the workers and um, just creating what we call psychological safety. And, and so we're just we're really trying to get um, buy-in from our management team, the non-ESNH managers, those that are performing the work and, uh, and really trying to make the case for this. And what I am finding um, over, you know, Brian talked about being in the business for decades. I have too, is that I'm finding much more receptive management team. I think they realize that they get a good return on their investment um, because we can do things more efficiently. This is a way to do things more efficiently. I mean, it's got to be challenging a little bit because, you you know, as an EH&S professional, you know, at, a, at an entity, you know, you've got the, the upper management you've got to deal with. You're also dealing with the workforce. You're kind of in the middle, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're, so it's, it, it's got to be, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit of a um, dance almost, right? To be able to balance that so that you, you're yeah. able to reach out to both, right? Yeah, I think early on we had was more resistance than there was than there is now, uh, because typically you, know, you talked about the knee jerk reaction to those off snap moments, and it's faster and simpler just to whack the mole and kick them out the road and kick them out the door. Um, it takes a lot more time and effort to look broader and deeper for those nuanced type of things and look for those, you know, as I said earlier, this complex web of causes that are driving the, the behaviors that gave you the outcomes that you got. And so it takes time to do that. And that time takes money and it might implicate the manager, it might implicate other things within the organization that the manager now has to fix. It's a whole lot easier to whack the person and send them packing. Um, and but they're starting to roll around and realize, you know, you know, yeah, this is a better way. I, I had a number of managers say, you know, this takes too long. 
And my response was, well, you know, if you got in trouble, wouldn't you want your boss and your HR department to take their time to understand you and why what you did made sense to you at that moment and that point in time, what you saw based on what you experienced, wouldn't you want them to kind of take that all into consideration if your job's on the line or would you rather them be really quick and send you packing down the door right away? You know, yeah, you're right. I want them to take their time and think about it. <laughs> so it's that kind of a you know, change of thinking. That, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't want them to really understand me. So one of the key things that we share with managers is that this influencer model helps us understand the full context of the situation. Um, context doesn't necessarily justify someone's behavior but it helps you understand how they got there, how it somehow made sense to them. It helps you understand how they viewed the world at that time. It helps you understand what they saw, what they recognized, what they believed versus what they didn't see, what they didn't recognize, what they didn't believe was actually possible. It helps you kind of, kind of walk in their shoes a while um, to understand, oh, so that's why. Because here's the biggest challenge would be if they don't take the time to understand how it made sense to this person when they did the thing to the thing and this bad outcome happened. All they do is send them packing and bring someone else new in. It's like the same situations and the circumstances that kind of align for the first person will rear the head again. Boom. Second person, you got to pack, got to go. See you later. And so this really helps to get to the heart of what's driving these uh, behaviors and these outcomes. Well, I mean, as you refer to it as the whack-a-mole approach, yeah, it, it doesn't solve it doesn't solve the long-term systemic problem that's happening there. All you're doing is waiting for the next individual to follow the same uh, bad path. Yeah. And what what if what if you're going to find some person that you've, you decide that they're guilty? You know, they didn't care enough, they didn't try hard enough, they would have just cared more things like that. This wouldn't have happened. But then what this also causes us to do is to look at the the cultural norms, look at the normative behaviors in in his or her operating group. It's possible that this person is doing exactly what everyone else is doing. They just happen to get, in words, cut with their hand in the cookie jar. Um, and so if, if this person is doing simply what everyone else is doing in the organization, irrespective of whether it's right or wrong, how can you hold this person up as the uh, single failure? How can you hold this person up as a bad example to learn from? That ain't fair. You got a, you got a nastier, gnarlier thing. You got to look at these cultural norms. And so that now becomes more of an implication of the manager. How did they allow these aberrant behaviors or whatever to become normative in their whole group? Um, so that, you know, we pulled that string too, right? So you say, well, why didn't the manager hold them responsible? Then we have to find out why did it make sense for the manager to do what they do? Or why did it make sense for the manager to not do what they didn't do? And so we apply the same model to the manager and everyone else that is involved. It gets pretty, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Well, I mean, this ends up being a paradigm shift, doesn't it, though, for, for many organizations? Because, you know, what you described as the whack-a-mole approach, I think maybe is, is the case in, uh, you know, quite a few companies around, uh, around the world. Well, yeah. One of the things that Brian and I do is um, we, when we're teaching the class, we usually make a point to say to any of the students, and sometimes they're managers, sometimes they're other ESNH professionals, they're coming to us from all over the laboratory. They're research scientists. And, uh, and we say, um, if you've got a, we usually have them bring a case study to the class so they can work through it. And that's what we'll do with the PDC. Um, but we say, if, you, if you've got something that you wanna just run past Brian or I, just to have a, a, a second opinion before you move forward, um, please do. And, and I will tell you, I've gotten a few phone calls from managers that you know kind of were like, they were in like shocked mode 
with what was happening to them. And just even having a chance to sort of sort that out and, and, and not bring that to, uh, uh, to the other person. Um, even we, we sometimes, one of our directors called it, um, you know, act as second day Matt instead of how you're first reacting to it, um, to the person. So I, I have found that to be valuable. They can just call us. It doesn't happen all that often, but they do. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah, we tell managers to, uh, now's the time, especially new managers, now's the time to practice and perfect your I'm not shocked face. Right. <laughs> because if they blow gas, you know, eyes bulging out, you're right. on fire, when someone brings bad news to them, that person will never tell them anything. Right. And and, and the in these stories that'll be told throughout the whole department about that manager acting poorly will kill reporting. And so they'll be flying as a manager, they'll be flying blind because they won't have a clue as far as what's going on. Yeah, certainly you don't you don't motivate somebody to bring it forward if you know if your reaction is like totally over the top. Yeah. 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 yeah it's interesting. interesting. One thing I'd like to weigh in is that this is all empirically based. Um, it's not like someone woke up at Holiday Express and decided to write a book one day on influence. You know, I had a number of these authors, different people that looked at. So Dr. Mimi Silbert, she's uh, she's fighting recidivism in the prison system there in California. Crazy successful looking at Delancey Street, which does like a 94% uh, success rate in getting these people to turn their lives around. These are people with multiple felonies on their on their on their resume. Um, they they turn their lives around for good. Or Dr. Donald Hopkins, you know, he was helped to uh, to drive out to annihilate the guinea worm disease that just just bothered the, the people in uh, what about West Asia and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa for for um, for thousands of years. Or Dr. We uh, Rujana Thaikorn used this same model for combating the spread of AIDS in Thailand. And so this is all empirically based, and that's why it works because you know they, they these uh, the authors of the influencer book and the course. Um, that is a massive global um, benchmarking research project to find out, gee whiz, what's the secret of the success of these huge successful uh, influencers and just packed in this book and in this course. Okay, a good example of influence. I did, um, uh, I'm also a causal analyst here and we had an event um, at a remote location. It, it was a wind turbine location and it was an electrical shock. And for, fortunately, the person was fine. But it gave us the opportunity to figure out what was breaking down, what, you know, what led to that. It wasn't just his fault. And, uh, and so I used that as uh, I used the influencer model to um, realize that we just were not providing this remote site with ESNH um, expertise so that they would um, know uh, how to handle all the systems that they had on that wind turbine from a safety standpoint. Um, and, and so it was, it was very successful. Um, and, and, and I know that that operation, um, is still in that mode where they're much better than they were several years ago. And I think the wrong way of handling it. And I can think about <laughs> early in my career as an industrial hygienist, um, going into management and just, you know, like almost bowling them over with the industrial hygiene report and the data and all of that. And here's what you have to do. And their eyes are just glazing over. Oh, I have to invest, uh, I don't know, $100,000 into a new ventilation system. There's a different way to sell that. And uh, and that's what this influencer course can help with. Yeah, I'll call it a bad reaction. I'll call it a bad reaction by a manager. Like, what are you doing? Why'd you do this? 
this or like your mom would do with the hands on his. What were you thinking? Right. You know, that we all knew the crud. Yeah. It's a matter of just, just ridiculing them or chastising them on the spot and break up their blame thrower and just, just crush their spirit, crush their soul. I can't believe you made me look bad or now look what you've done. You've made a whole department look bad. What were you thinking? Oh my God. What have you done? What have you done? And it's just this guilt trip, this massive guilt trip that just, again, demotivates anybody to bring them any news whatsoever. Um, so it shuts down communication. It shuts down that psychological safety in that work group. Um, and the work group then suffers because the way that they, okay, so that's the way it is. Okay, I guess just keep my head down, my elbow to the, you know, my shoulder, the grindstone, mind my own business, call it a day. CJ. Brian, thanks so very much for joining us uh, today. Um, want to, again, uh, do a shout out to your upcoming PDC, your professional development course at the AIHCE uh, Expo uh, 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, that, uh, th that event runs from May 22nd to May 24th this year. And hopefully we'll see uh, everyone there at this uh, presentation. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Bob.